Welcome back to another episode of Confabulation hosted by our sister's house. We are located here in the North End. We post, um, we talk about racial injustice and a bunch of other things that go on in our world just kind of (laughs) as we gravitate to them. Um, We post every single Wednesday and I just want to give a shout out to one of our main community partners. Um, Lander's Coffee. We would like to see them grow and become the new Starbucks. They have been great supporters of us. They have basically put us up front and helped us find a bunch of other community partners. They have been very wonderful and they actually are located just below our sister's house. Please go check them out. Check out their Instagram and grab some coffee from them because they are amazing. Uh, Today we are going to be talking about domestic violence and religion and we have an amazing guest speaker, um, Pastor Crystalline Westbrook from Auburn Academy. So we're just going to start out by kind of getting to know Pastor Crystalline if she wants to do a quick introduction. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, So yeah, I'm Pastor Crystalline or PK as my students have called me. I've been in youth ministry for about 20 years. Um, worked 12 years at Rio Lindo Adventist Academy down in California and, um, with a youth pastor as well. And up here, I'm, um, vice principal for spiritual life at Auburn Adventist Academy. And I just love young people. They, there's like, I I just love the authenticity, um, no BS and always constantly just living the real life. And that's something that I truly believe in as well. So. Yeah, it's it's great to be here. Thank you for taking the time to come on here. Um, so what influenced you to get into the work of like youth ministry? You said you love the kids, but what spoke to you? Yeah, so um, I actually took a year uh, when I was in college. I took a year and was I was trying to go overseas and like do something super exciting. And then those doors just kept closing, what I thought was exciting, you know. And um, I ended up going over to actually Jim State Academy and was the assistant chaplain there um, and for a year. And I loved it. I was like, man, this is, I would do this for free. Um, and I, get, I could get paid for this. Awesome. I, I really didn't want to go into ministry as a female, just because I knew that a lot of people were going to be upset with it. And like, I was going to rock the boat a lot, but at the same time, I was like, you know what? I mean, this is the thing at the end of the day, what did it was a a pastor doesn't define me. I define what I will be as a pastor and I don't need to fit in any kind of box. I'm just going to be myself. And the title pastor will go with that for some people, for some people it won't. I'm just going to use the gifts that God has given me. Um, So I really felt it early on. And then I was like, okay, I mean, if I get a job out of college, I guess that's the telltale sign. And I did. So I worked with public school kids actually for about three years in Nevada. Um, and then, uh, and then went to Rio Lindo Academy. So how long have you been at Auburn? I think you said three years. Yeah. So I'm just starting my third year there. So we're still kind of newish, um, to the area, but love it. I've got, I've got a two-year-old son and a five-year-old daughter and, uh, they, they love it up here. We've actually, 
been been running from the fires in California. Um, Santa Rosa three years ago, actually today was the Tubbs fire that that took out Redwood Adventist Academy, which was also where I was working at the time. Um, and then I grew up in Paradise, California, which many people know was kind of wiped off the face of the map almost two years ago next month. So I, I kind of joke, maybe it's a, a evil joke, but I'm like, watch out guys. Um, fires follow me. <laughs> no, not really, but <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen up here. It's a little, it's a little more wet in this area. Um, yeah, hopefully, yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> you mentioned that, um, you're rocking the boat, you know, especially being a woman in ministry. Um, so I'm just kind of wondering if you could let's talk about why kind of the church, you know, views women as, you know, not super favorably, you know, in ministry, um, and kind of, you know, what do you think, do you see, you know, you're leading a change or, um, what's kind of the progress that is being made for, you know, women in ministry right now? Great question. Yeah. Um, it seems like there's progress and then there's not, it's kind of like two steps forward, one step back, or maybe one step forward, two steps back, depending on how you look at it. Um, I've, I've had people tell me I'm going to hell. Um, these are like, these are church people. Um, and if you're familiar with the Adventist theology, it's like, wait, I thought we didn't believe in that. And like, hell, like hell's a place right now. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) How will I go there? Um, Hmm. uh, I was accosted at a wedding. So I did a wedding for a former student of mine. He begged me to do his wedding and I had to get out of camp meeting. And everything to do it. And um, this was down in San Diego. And his two parents work at the GC level of the church. And uh, it was really bad. Like at the at the reception, um, his mom was not only verbally uh, accosting me, but physically. So like grabbing my arm, um, telling me I lied. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I, I just kept trying to walk away saying, look, this is your son's wedding. Um, right. This is not... The way you want to remember your son's reception, um, but she would not let it go, and just the hatred. Um, mm-hmm. And she was she would get in my face and just look into my eyes. And so finally, what made it stop in that situation was I was like, "Why are you treating me this way?" Because this was a former parent of where I worked, so it was weird. It was it was a, a interesting situation. And you know, she she went off with like, "Do you have an agenda?" I was like, "Actually, I don't." Your son really wanted me to do your wedding um, or his wedding. So that was a, that was a tough one. Um, so just different things like that. And what the beautiful thing that kind of came out of all that is I really stopped caring what people think. Um, there's kind of a death to like the system, if you will. So like, um, I don't answer to people and I answer to what God has called me to do. So with some of that hate and stuff, it's like, it, it hurt at the time, but I think now it's at the point where it's like, whatever, like, Hey, you're, you're, you're crazy. <laughs> if people tell me stuff, it's like, all right. I mean, you got your own, you got your freedom to think whatever you want. But at the other hand, and the other thing that that's also unlocked me to do is be super uh, vocal and because I don't really care. And so like any, like social justice issues have always been really important to me. Um, but then you know, being able to feel it in the, in the sense of sexism and um, gender discrimination has given me a voice from that perspective as also with, um, 
you know, being able to get up to the mic and speak on behalf of girls that can't speak. And um, so it's a, it's a, it's a growth. I, it's kind of interesting that the church a lot of times seems to be mirroring the nation. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see next month what will happen. <laughs> right. I am so sorry that has happened to you. That, you. And it's also shocking. And, and I don't know why it's shocking because we know how race relations are in the church. So, but I'd never would have put the two that, that women were, were being treated and discriminated like that. I had, wow, that yeah. is a lot to take in. Mm. Does, Thank you. Does that hatred just stem from tradition or things that the Bible says, or what's the, where does that kind of come from? Yeah, great question. So I actually did a study. One, one of my professors in college was really brilliant. I thought I was really annoyed at the time, but he's like, hey, you need to study out history biblical and spirit of prophecy standpoint of women in ministry uh, before you graduate. This was my senior year. And I was like, that's not fair. The boys aren't doing this. Like, why do I have to do it? Um, so I ended up doing it because I had to. And what that ended up doing though, was it actually solidified in my mind um, that there was nothing wrong with what I'm doing. So really where it comes from is a, is a huge misconception. There's, there's two, there's two rules of thought. So there's, there's one rule, which is um, this headship theology. I don't know if you've heard of it. So it's basically the man is the head of the home. Mm -hmm. And so people, many people then make the misinterpretation um, that the man is the head of the church, but it's clear in Ephesians five, that Christ is the head of the church. Um, it's a totally different relationship, but people, they don't, they don't make that connection. So they, they think, well, the man is the head of the, of the house. So therefore only a man can be a pastor or the head of the church. But Christ is the head of the church. And we know this, right? Like this is a verse we heard a lot. Christ is the head of the church and the church is his bride, which may, which means both of us, both men and women are the woman. Um, Christ is the head. So, so even, even um, like a pastoral position or any kind of leader, leadership position biblically is not supposed to be dominant because Christ is the only one that's dominant. And then every other person is level. Uh, one of my favorite statements is the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So the only, only one lifted up is Christ. So, but there is this misconception of um, if a woman is in leadership, that's taking away the headship of the man, but it's a totally different relationship. It's not the house. It's, right. it's not the home. It's, right. it's the church. Um, and we're both the woman. Right. You can't tell men that feel really strongly about that, that they're a woman. <laughs> because then they're like, no, I'm not. <laughs> uh, you know, that whole thing. Um, so there's that one. The other one that that's a big misconception is, um, and it's kind of more just weird, it, you know, it, it goes off of like, it's a, it's a lot, there's a lot of fear, I think, of um, women are super strong, or they're witches with a B. Um, and if you give them power, they're going, it's just going to lead to other things that are going to take us down a path of craziness, which is, which is an interesting theology when you follow that, because are you saying, wait, are you saying women are sinners just merely for the fact of being a woman? <laughs> if you're saying that it's going to open the door for a lot of other like sinful practices to come into the church. Um, so, so there's a lot of, I think, just fear that people take on and they don't realize that they are just being traditional or they're following a certain tradition rather than um, thinking for themselves. And, and as we see, I mean, Christ was super progressive for his day right. and he was, uh, he uplifted 
all minority groups, including women, and and having women in his entourage mm, he did. Um, was huge. Yep. And and so he kind of like gave us a great example. But um, when when I say these, when I give these examples to people, when I'm having that that differ in their thoughts on women in ministry, um, they don't really know what to say. And so they, they either walk away or they just say, well, that's a totally different context. So it's, it's kind of interesting where you can only say so much and you're like, all right, well, I I'll do me, you do you. And yeah. So basically women are facing the same things that blacks are facing in the church. It's, it's right next to each other, very aligned. Yeah. Cause there's a, there's a misconception of uh, fear of putting a black people in leadership in, um, you know, in presidents of the conferences and the GC, it's, it's, it's very rare that we get, we, we get to a certain level and then we have to stay at that level. Right. Which is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Like when you logically think about it, it's like, if somebody's gifted for that. Right. They, they, they don't see that. They just see the color of our skin. Right. Like they see you as, you know, as a woman and wow. Yeah. I've sometimes wanted to say, maybe, maybe, I don't know if this is allowed here, but I've sometimes wanted to say to people, so if I got a sex change, like God would be cool with me then like working in the church. <laughs> like, mm. I'm like, well, you know, I'm not going to, cause it's, there is, there is like that fun part. Like, like, Hey, okay, let's, let's go down the rabbit trail that you're opening up and let's, let's go there and let's see, see where that see, leads. See how far we can explore on it. Right. How far we can get down that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. One thing I've kind of observed is um, when I was going to Auburn, they taught us so much about like, the world is not like us. The world isn't like us. We're a special group. We're a unique group. We're loving. We're Christ-like. We're blah, 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 blah. Like we're these amazing people. And now that I get out into this world and I see white supremacy, all this hatred towards women, all this hatred towards like minorities and all these other religions, I'm like, you guys are the world. Like you guys try right? so hard to shield us from this, but you guys literally have surrounded us with the world with all your guys's traditions of teaching so that's yes so true yeah and you're exactly right and, and if anything we as um if we are the remnant or the the body of christ we should be leading in like super progressive and out-of-the-box ways of of inclusivity and um and the thing too you know um like the whole joel too like at the end days where God says at the end days, I will pour out my, my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Right. And for the Old Testament to mention women, to, spe- to specify women, um, it's actually, it's denoting, like, this is not just men, this is going to be women. Right. And, you know, people always use that, like, for Ellen White or that kind of thing. But it's like, hey, if we're really, truly, what if we are in the latter, in the latter rain right now? And God is like, hey, I'm pouring out my spirit. And this in no way is making men or women better. Um, one of my favorite quotes is, you know, God spoke through Balaam's ass and he's been speaking through donkeys ever since. <laughs> so, so it, it doesn't make us any better, right? It's just like, God is the one that once again, God's the one lifted up. And um, if, if it's, if it's honestly, if we're in the fourth quarter and there's like a minute left on the clock, you want the whole out there. You don't want to be telling somebody, I'm sorry, we can't use you in the game right now. Like we need everybody. Um, so I kind of want to redirect the conversation. As you know, our sister's house 
is a domestic violence. Um, we help families that are experiencing domestic violence. And from what I've heard, you've experienced a little bit about that yourself, about you've experienced domestic violence yourself. And if you're comfortable with sharing your story, I would really love to hear it and um, hear if it was like, while you were in the church, how did the church like receive it? Did you feel supported? Did you have to like hide it? Um, things like that. Yeah, no, thank you. And thanks for the invitation. Um, it's, a, it's an important topic, especially I think in, re, in regards to religion because a lot of people, they can't say anything um, or that they won't be believed. And unfortunately, sometimes that is the case. Um, so I, I got in a relationship college with a guy who was super charismatic. Um, everybody loved him. He was very interesting. And that was really what kind of attracted me to him. Um, and, uh, so, you know, this was at a, at an Adventist college. And so we were, we were all Christian and Adventist and everything. And, um, great conversations about life, about just the depth, um, of, of the depth we would go would be really cool. Just like conversation where you could just talk forever and ever. And at first I just thought, Hey, this is a great, like mutual relationship, friendship. Um, I, I definitely felt that he was feeling more, um, towards me. And I was like, okay, sure. Why not? Like, let's go there. And so when he asked me, I would order, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's try this thing out. Um, and so I didn't see anything right up front. And, and that's usually the case with, um, people who are abusive. Uh, they, they're not going to obviously show their colors because then <laughs> like the, the cat's out of the bag. So, um, and I don't know how, how, um, in depth you want me to get or just whatever uh, you're comfortable with okay <laughs> so <laughs> so um the first I think red flag that I saw um was uh we went on a on a car ride and he was driving and I didn't really know where, where we were going and so we're having this great conversation per usual and um, we go out in the middle of nowhere and he's a few, he's a little bit older than me. Um, and, and at that point we were still kind of like not dating officially, but interested in each other. Um, and we're having a conversation in the car, he pulls over and then he proceeds to, uh, masturbate in front of me and just like, Oh, okay. Um, and it was kind of weird. Um, a little awkward because we hadn't even gotten any kind of physical at all. We haven't even kissed yet or anything. Um, and, and I, at the time I was like, uh, what do I do in this situation? I just sit here, do I, do I go for a walk? Um, let you finish, I'll come back. Um, but I don't know where I am. And so it was a very kind of like, uh, I felt trapped, I guess, looking back and, um, a little bit powerless in the, in that situation. But then again, I was like, you know what, whatever, maybe he just likes that. And maybe I turned him on and okay. Uh, but that was the first sign of kind of like um, the power play, I think of what I was going to see later. And, um, and it was just awkward. It wasn't like, Hey, I like you. It was, it was, it was just a weird, like out of the blue kind of thing. Um, the next thing was, 
so at that point I was still, I was starting to get really involved in, in youth ministry. And so I would go and do week of prayers and stuff for, for different schools and academies. And so I was at a week of prayer. Um, and, and a lot of you guys know, like after a week of prayer, like people want to talk afterwards. So, um, we would have like a phone conversation set up that, Hey, call me when you're done or whatever. And, you know, sometimes after the meetings, they would go really late and students would want to talk after. And every single time I would get to my, my phone and there was, uh, there was like 15 to 20 messages of him just like berating me, um, cussing me out because I disrespected him because I didn't call him when I was supposed to. Um, and, uh, you know, how, how dare you? Um, I'm the, I'm the best thing that you're ever going to get. That's another abusive technique that, that abusers say. Right. And, um, if you guys know me, I'm pretty strong personality. And I thought, um, well, you know, maybe he's just having a bad day. Um, and I think that's another shame thing that a lot of women don't want to, and, and men, because men get abused too. They don't want to talk about it because they feel ashamed or like, I feel weak. Maybe I was weak to get in that situation. Um, and so they make excuses to try to, you know, especially if they care about the person, try to like excuse the, the behavior. Um, after I graduated, so we were still dating, he was finishing up and he would come and visit. But he would always, he would, he would have these really big things that he needed me to do right around times when I had a big like youth event. So we were going to do this big youth um, rally Friday night of one weekend. And he showed up 30 minutes before I had to leave my apartment. So he shows up to my apartment and he's like, Hey, I need you to do this and this and this. And I was like, you know, I can't like, I got, I gotta, I gotta go right now. Cause we've got this big youth event and um, grab my shoulders, push me against the wall. And he said, you know, how dare you? I'm more important to you than this event. And if you really care about me, you're going to do this for me first. And I would be like, I'm sorry, I can't. We can, you know, you know, so big yelling match. Um, I would come back, not wanting to come back. So then I have to go and like put on Jesus face. Like, hey, kids, you know, act like everything's great. Right. And, uh, and come back and, of course, flowers, balloons, I'm sorry, um, that whole thing. So then, um, and then he would say things like, you know, you disrespected me, but I'm going to let it go this time. Um, next time you need to, you know, you need to remember who is who. So when I, when I, when I would try to think about telling somebody, I knew nobody would believe me because he was so charismatic. He was well-liked um, by the community. He was well-liked by the school, the church. And so I knew that if I were to say something, at least this was my, my thought, who knows, uh, that I wouldn't be believed. Um, and, and this is when the, the abuse would get stronger and stronger. So, th so the more um, isolated we became as a, as a couple, the more uh, stronger the abuse got. There was one night, it was a Saturday night, and he would just show up. So he wouldn't even say he's coming. So you just show up like, okay. And, um, which is okay, I guess, but I think it was a, it was a progressive pattern of like lack of boundaries and then disrespect, but then saying that I was being disrespectful, which is like a sign of gaslighting. Right. So the person will tell you what you are doing, but they're actually doing the thing that you're doing projecting. 
So they're projecting, but then they're also saying, well, I never said that, or you're the one that's being disrespectful. Um, he, he would, uh, he would pull, he pulled my, he called my mother up. I don't know how he got her number. He called my mom up and he told her that he was concerned about me, that he thought I was, I was suffering some, from some mental issues and I, I had no clues what was happening. Right. So then I go and visit my mom and my dad and my mom's super quiet, like really deep in thought. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Cause I had no clue what had happened. And then finally at the end of our evening, she pulls me aside. She's like, Hey, I'm really worried about you. I hear that you might be suicidal or something. And like, you're going through stuff. I was like, what, what are you talking about? And she's like, well, you know, so-and-so called me. And I was like, okay, look, no, that's not even true. I don't even know why they did that. Um, another thing, another instance is he called the school counselor and he, and I, unbeknownst to me, he told them all about my problems that I apparently had. Um, and then he's like, Hey, let's go to, let's go meet with the counselor. Let's do some couples counseling. Cause you know, you disrespect me a little bit. And so we need to figure out where we're at. So I was like, okay, well, whatever, maybe we can, we can go on whatever we're dealing with. And then for the whole hour, she proceeds to like, try to hunt and see what's wrong with me. And I'm like, okay, I thought this was like couples counseling. <laughs> what's going on right now? So he had this way of before, um, before I would even have a chance to defend myself, um, he would tell other people that, in, in, that were in positions that were powerful in my life, a different story about me, which would then discredit him or discredit the, the story that he's abusing me, right? Um, so this, so going back to that story, so this one Saturday night, um, we go to this little video store. This was when video stores still existed. <laughs> it was like two, 20, 2002 or something. And this is out in Nevada, um, out in the middle of nowhere, little tiny video store, super cute, like hole in the wall. You know, Saturday night, we're going to watch a movie. So we're, 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 uh, we're in the store and this was, this was the, this was the crux for me. This was the nail. This was like, the thing is like, I got to get out of this. So there's two guys that are at the counter kind of teasing the girl. You can tell they know each other. At least I could. And they're all kind of, you know, joking and having a great time. Right. And he goes over to the counter and he's like, Hey, you guys need to stop like talking to her. And I'm just like, if you, if you know anything about me, I'm like, okay, let's not cause a scene. I'm just like embarrassed, like trying to look for videos. I'm like, I don't know this guy. Like <laughs> we're not connected at all. And I'm just like, why is he talking to them? Like they, they're clearly friends. And he's like, no, you, you guys need to stop. And she's like, no, it's fine. We're, we're all friends. And I'm just like, oh my word. So then he comes over to me because he just got disrespected. So remember people who are abusers, they want control. Right. They want power. He comes over to me and he's like, Hey, we need to go right now. And I said, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not done looking for movies. And uh, he's like, no, we need to go right now. I was like, I'm not going anywhere. Cause I'm like, now, now, now they think I'm with him and I'm not with him. <laughs> uh, and so finally he's like, well, I'm leaving. He has my car keys and he takes off in my car. So I, I'm like, frustrated, embarrassed. Um, I go over and get the videos that I picked out and I apologize for his behavior, which as it was interesting, as I heard myself saying, I'm sorry, I'm like, wait, this is what abuser, like 
abusers do, survivors of abuse. And that's something I want to say really quick. Nobody is a victim of abuse. You're a survivor. That's right. Uh, when, when, when people use the word victim, um, it, it, it's true in the minute, in the moment that you're happy, you are being a victim, but you are a survivor if you're still alive and if you're still walking. Um, and I think there's a huge difference in that wording. It is. Yeah, we're trying to separate that because it, it, it's also re-victimizing to keep calling them victims, victims. Yes, so, yes, yeah. exactly. So um, he drove off. And so I, I apologize. I'm like, why am I saying sorry? Like, and they're like, yeah, okay, whatever. So I start walking home. It's, it's dark. This is in Nevada. Um, and, but I'm an independent woman. And, uh, and by the way, really quick side note. So I grew up with seven brothers and my, and my dad is like six foot five. So like, I have no problem with guys. I have one sister, seven brothers. I love guys. And that's why I'm like this, this dude that I'm dating right now is like messed up. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not like all guys are. That's why I was like, all, all the guys I've known in my life have been pretty cool. Good guys. Right. Yeah. So this is not like men bashing at all. Just want to clarify. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so I'm, so I'm walking home and, uh, and my car pulls up next to me <laughs> driven by this guy. Oh, and he's like, he's like, get in the effing car. And he's like, he's totally cussing me out. And I'm like, I'm not getting in the car. I'm going to walk home. And, uh, and once again, when you stand up for yourself, there's, you're, you're kind of dis disrespecting them, but you're also, you have to do that for empowerment. Right. Right. And I'm like, no, I'm not getting in the car. Somehow he got me in the car and he just starts driving out into the desert, like in the middle of the desert. And he's saying, he's like totally blasting me, um, saying, you know, I'm going to kill you. Uh, and I'm thinking in my head, what did I do? Like, what did I do wrong? And I finally said, like, why are you treating me this way? Like, I, I have not done anything wrong. And um, the whole disrespect thing came up again. Um, I'm the best thing you're going to get. He said that a couple of times. Like, I'm the best thing you're going to get. And, uh, and I thought, I literally thought I was going to die. Like, I was like, I'm going to be one of those stories. that's like on Lifetime Channel or whatever. <laughs> like, he's going to drive out into the desert and he's going to kill me and bury me in the sand. Um, I don't know what happened, um, to turn him around, but he turned the car around and then he proceeded to try to have a normal night. Like, Hey, what movies did you get? So then that was weird too. Cause it's like, once again, like the gaslighting, the kind of thing where you're like, wait, did, did that just happen? Did he just threaten to kill me? And now he wants to make popcorn and watch a movie. Uh, it, and so that was the beginning of trying to get away from him. And, and that's, and that's one thing I just want to say too, like for anybody who might be in a, in a similar situation, it's your head tells you that you got to get out, but there's something weird psychologically that happens where you feel kind of stuck. Mm -hmm. um, you feel because of maybe the isolation or you feel there are parts that you're like, but I kind of like it when he does this. And remember the overabundance of gifts. Um, at the very beginning, he'll say, he, you know, he would say things like, you're the most amazing woman. And so you'll kind of remember that, like, I think that's still true. Um, and so, so you kind of notice yourself giving excuses and saying things. Um, and so there's this weird, it's almost like a drug. Um, you feel drawn to it, but you know, it's bad for you. And I really had to pray, like, God, please, like, take, like, like, cut the ties to this. Um, 
And that's what started the, the, the getting out of it. Um, I met my husband, my now husband, uh, about three months after that. And I remember I was like, totally like I'm done with guys. Right. And I remember this is what helped clarify it for me. We were, he and I were friends, my, my now husband. And, and I was like, Hey, I have a hypothetical situation. Cause I still hadn't told anybody. Mm-hmm. I have a hypothetical situation. I told him my story and I'm like, you know, I have a friend. Da, 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 da. And my now husband says, he's like a dog doesn't even deserve to be treated that way. And I was like, Oh, maybe there are still good guys in the world, <laughs> but it also, but it also reflected to me that that none of that behavior was not normal. Right. Um, I finally got out of it and it was what went, what made it easy was, and, and it was weird. I, I had to kind of play the game because he, he started to stalk me a little bit. So I kind of had to play the game of, Hey, you know, um, I'm not going to be available the next couple of months. And I wish I would have just been like, Hey, we're done. Rip the bandaid off. Mm-hmm. But it was like, I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel like I could. And so I just started kind of playing this game of like elusiveness. And then, uh, and then I ripped the bandaid off. So, so an interesting side note, I found out through, he tried to, he tried to befriend me lady, later on Facebook. And I was like, you know, I can't. Um, do that because once again, um, the the abuse that somebody has o- over you, the, it's triggered when I when you know when you see their name or when you see things in the news, um, or when you um, like when that when that those church people accosting me at that wedding, right. like all it's that that same feeling. And so, in a sense, I'm kind of thankful for it for that experience because I'm able to now notice right away like abusive person right here. Um, but the other, the, but I found out a few, a few months ago that he passed away about a year ago. I was wondering if you, if you knew what had happened to him. Wow. Yeah. So he, he apparently died of the flu. Um, and I didn't know about it. And I found out kind of through, through the grapevine and it was a weird thing. It was the weirdest thing. You guys, it was like, Oh, he can't hurt me anymore. Right. Um, but also kind of feeling sad, but also like when those memories get triggered, it's like, but he's, he's dead, Mm. but he's still, those memories are still very much alive. So Um, have you been able to, you know, I know that he's gone now, but before that, was there ever any closure for you or was it just kind of like a little scab? Yeah. You know, I, I really wanted him to be like, to, to realize what he had done and like apologize mm-hmm. and go and like be punished. <laughs> um, but it, it was kind of like, he never saw what he did. And, and that's the other thing too, like uh, people who are gas, who are gaslighters or who are narcissistic, they're like, I didn't do anything wrong. Right. And I think that's the most enraging thing because right. you, you, they did. And, uh, um, and, and you can see that in, in, even in the church and systems in the church and in schools where you're like, no, this happened. And like, well, no, it didn't. Yeah, it did. And it, and it's not right. And, um, and, and so basically what I basically had to do is like, he's crazy because I think it is a form of, of mental illness. Yes. Um, I agree. and 
he did send me a, a Facebook message once that said, hey, you know, because uh, we weren't friends on Facebook, but you know how you can still send messages to people. Mm-hmm. And he was like, hey, you know, looks like you're having a great life and I'm happy for you. I'm sorry if there's anything I ever did to hurt you, but I don't think, you know, I think we had what we had was good. And oh, <laughs> no acknowledgement. See, that's, that's, the, yeah. that's the harm when, when people are hurt, it needs to, you have to acknowledge, you know, you have to confirm and, and pe- make people feel validated that your pain is real. So, yeah. That's and that's the other thing. Exactly. And that's the other thing I want to say too, is another, another excuse I gave myself. So I gave myself a couple of excuses to stay in, in the relationship. One of them was maybe he's having a bad day, mm. right? Um, another was maybe I did something. This was something I did to trigger it. Um, and, and another one was, and I think this is more common than we realized, was, well, the abuse I'm experiencing is not as bad as dot, dot, dot. So he never full on punched me, right? Um, he did throw me against the wall. Um, he did verbally and emotionally and spiritually um, abuse me. Uh, so there's um, sometimes excuses we can make of like, well, you know, it's not as bad as. And so then we think, is it really abuse? Um, and, I, and I think that's a way to that, especially as women, we, we really try to, um, is this just another thing I just need to put up with in order to survive in life, right? Even if we don't want to outwardly say that consciously. Um, and, and that's the other thing too, you know, for, for women who are like, how did I get, get myself into this? Because I did ask myself after months after I got out of it, I'm like, how did that even happen? And, and this is something I want to say to, to, to any women or men. My brother was in a really, really bad relationship with his wife, um, his ex-wife. So it also happens to men. Um, and I think it's harder for men to talk about. Um, but, but one thing that I realized is when it's all about control for the abuser, it's all about control. And so when they see a woman that is either strong, that they feel like needs to be put in their place, put in her place, um, or maybe she's, you know, oh, she's so friendly, um, um, and, and so I think there is a stereotype that it only happens to weak women, and that's not true. Um, yeah. In fact, I think most of the time it happens to women who men see as targets to control and put and put in their place. I agree. And and so there's a lot of stereotypes, a lot of um, like ooh, we gotta you know that I think keeps women and men from 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 speaking up. Mm-hmm. I wish I would have said more. Uh, now that I look back, uh, but honestly, I don't know who would have believed me. My mom did after I told her I'm like this, what? And she, then she felt bad. She's like, I'm sorry. I took his word over yours, mm-hmm. but that just shows how good he was that even my mother believed him first before believing her own daughter. I have a question. Yeah. Do you think, um, well, now, have you told your story to other women and has that helped them open up more if they've gone through domestic violence? Um, I've told it to my classes. So my, my senior class, we, when we talk about relationships, mm-hmm. I tell it in there. Um, this is the first time I've told it on a scale like this. Um, and, and honestly, like, 
thank you for the opportunity because I still feel sometimes that that voice inside of me saying, well, it's not as bad as it could have been. Mm-hmm. Like you're still alive. And it's like, hey, what is that? What is that voice that we hear inside of us saying, you know, you you can't really say or tell your story. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank you. And, and and that's the other thing too. I think the the going back to the question about the church and religion, um, because he was like a spiritual guy and he would get up front in church and say stuff. I think that also added another element of like, how, how do I, how do I out him <laughs> when he might be um, like a lot of people are going to be surprised and it's going to cause a big mess. And is the mess worth it? Like, is the drama going to be worth it of people saying, well, who's right? I don't, I don't believe that. I never known the man to be that way. Right. All those stories that we hear. So do you think there's a lot of, do you think a lot of abuse happens in the Adventist church with like how you went through a guy, a, a, someone that's big, that's up, always up front in church, but behind closed doors, they're abusing somebody. Do you think that happens a lot in Adventist church? I think it happens more than we would even know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 and that's where I think if we keep, that's why I love what you guys are doing. If we can keep talking about it and normalize it more, yeah. then people will be like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not a victim. I'm a survivor. Let me tell my story. But yeah, yeah, Sanders, I think that there is more that we, than we even realize. Yeah, I appreciated, I commended you so much when you put that on Facebook and I was like, do I say anything to her? I, you know, because you just don't know, you know, even now you just don't know how to approach people without, you know, you want them to feel comfortable. You want them to feel, you know, safe and supported. So uh, when you put that on Facebook, I was like, well, you know what? She put it out there. So, and I think yeah. that means she, you know, she wants to talk about it. So I was so glad when you said that you, you were willing to come on here and share what you went through and how, you know, you can, this can inspire others to come forward because I think it happens a lot in our, in our faith as well. Yeah. And, and especially when we're, when we're seeing it normalized, not that I want to get super political, but when we see it normalized in um, from our, our president, mm-hmm. um, to be quite honest and normalized in the sense of like, or hearing things of like, uh, boys will be boys or, you know, oh, it's just a man's world or, you know, the different, the little, um, not the word, not to use the word microaggressions in the sense of, because it, that's usually used in, in terms of, of, of racial issues, right. but there's, but it's kind of like the same way of with, with the objectification of women. And then when there is a, a woman who is strong, she's either, you know, she's categorized yep. um, in, in a certain way. And, and then when you see church people defending the abuser, even at the government level, mm-hmm. it's like, I mean, even within that thread, there were people, there were, there were girls who were like, well, where's the evidence that he's abusive? Mm. So I gave the evidence, did all this research, gave the evidence. Well, right. I don't really know if I want to read that. So it was like, really? I just did all this work for you to try to show you. It you want to do the work yourself. Yeah, don't open their eyes to it. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Another thing that the church really plays a huge role in is grooming, um, especially girls. Like at Auburn, when I was there, it was like, 
when you are a spiritual holy woman, you will gravitate towards the right man. The right man will gravitate towards you. When you do A, B, C, and D, when you have this relationship with God and they don't tell you that you're perfect, like now, like you need a man in your life. They talk about, you need to be married. You need to produce a family. Like they don't talk about all these other elements or teach young women, like this is the man that that should earn you like your prize to be earned. Like they're not the prize. And yes. the church does do a lot of grooming. Cause when I look back at it and like all the relationships I've dated guys, like I was like, what's wrong with me? What's, how can I fix myself? How, what can I do to earn the right man? And it was like, no, you're fine. The way you are, you're just talking to lots of stupid people. <laughs> like yes. don't deserve you. And what's a better way that we can maybe educate the um, younger girls about how to love themselves more, how to make sure that the right man is earning them? Like, how can we kind of like? Yes, I love that question. And you're so right. You're so right. Um, I think for one thing that, that I've really noticed, and, and I even see it with my own daughter, um, like I, I sometimes get worried when she's really into like, fairy tales because <laughs> it's like I think even in that age it, it can start of like oh my prince charming and a man it will be does. the one yeah a man will be the one that will make your dreams come true and you're going to be working in the house and he's going to come and he's going to have a gold slipper or a glass slipper whatever blah 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 and so I I really have like tried to get her to watch things like Moana and um uh frozen right so it's kind of showing women like female empowerment right um and and i and i love the even the frozen story um just because it's showing like the man you know christoph um ends up being the, even in frozen 2 is like yeah go and do your admission i'm gonna wait for you here you go and you go in and do your thing so little little things like that um but, but i think in 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 terms of like the school setting and in the church like give women the same opportunities you give men, like ask the girls to get up and give a sermon. Um, and then, and then, you know, give the, and, and not like a girly topic. Like if they want to talk about whatever, like let them talk about whatever. Um, and I think that the, the men too, like my, my brother, who's a poet, even talks about gender stereotypes towards men. He's like, you know, when I'm in a group of guys, the guys are only talking about sports and I'm, am I going to interject with like, Hey guys, I wrote a poem last week. <laughs> right. He feels like he can't cause he can get made fun of. So it's like, even, even with men, there's, there's these gender stereotypes of that we have adopted from society, I think really unconsciously. Mm-hmm. And, and like, like even the whole thing of like boys, boys can't cry. And I think women have kind of picked that up too a little bit. My son cries. And he's, he's much more sensitive than my daughter. My daughter's like, I don't want to, I don't want to cuddle. I want to go and like, take on the world. Cool. You go do that. My son's like, can we just cuddle and read a book? Sure. Let's do that. <laughs> right. right. So, so I think that there is so much on both sides, both men and women, where we can just empower them to be who they are in their core and then just celebrate them. And like, and like, yeah, be yourself. Like you, you don't need a man. And exactly like you were saying, Joy, like you don't need, um, you don't need to dress a certain way or, or it starts even young. Like, you know, when, when girls are just sitting normal, like a normal person does like, honey, cross your legs. Like why? Um, you know, like she's just comfortable. She's just sitting, you know, cross-legged. 
like, no, honey, you can't, you can't do that. Cause why, why can't she do that? That's a, that's a, that's how a human being sits. So there's little, little tiny things that I think start really young yep. of, um, uh, where we can just start to tell, to let people be people rather than you can only talk about this subject. You can only talk about that. And then, and then just let them, let them fly, man. Like let them fly in, in exactly who they are. I think a lot of it does start at home because like my mom's an amazing woman and I love her because she did the best she could like as a single parent like you only do what you know how like that's all you can do but I remember it's like uncle so-and-so is coming over go put on pants because you're wearing shorts or go put on something to cover it up like that's not an appropriate dress you shouldn't be wearing that in front of your brothers and I'm like they're my brothers (laughs) like I remember like this is gonna be you know disgusting but I remember like my pads I would wrap them up and put them in the trash can and like my mom would be like you're not supposed to do that you have a special little trash can I'm like my brothers are gonna have daughters like I had to like (laughs) kind of retrain my mom because she was raised in Africa whereas I was raised here and I'm learning more about like feminism and being a strong woman and standing up for myself and like placing boundaries around myself I'm like mom they're gonna have daughters like how are they gonna treat their daughters they're gonna have to go buy these pads and what if they're wife dies and they have to like teach like I was like it's unfair for you to like put me in this little space all because I'm the only girl in the house I was like Mm -hmm. no and I and I would like tell her no (laughs) yes I would tell her like you're not about to groom me to like be this type of woman like I'm good so I think it really does start at home so I think having maybe a course for moms and being like how did you grow up what things would you have like for your mother to do differently what things have you noticed in your marriage that like your mom didn't teach you about I think like those subjects are important not just for like younger women but like women in general in the church and even men like I think it's important on both sides yes well and even just you know when you were talking it made me think of that um that verse many times taken out of context like wives submit to your husbands and um it's in that same it's in that same phrase of like crisis out of the church right but, um, but like wives submit to your husbands. And then it says, husbands submit to your wives, submit to one another out of love. And then it says that the husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church. Like that's huge. That's a huge submission, right? Of loving to lay down your life for her. So the submission, it's interesting that people quote scripture, sometimes kind of like the devil did to Jesus. They only like quote one part and they don't give the whole context. <laughs> and it's like the submission is submit to one another out of love. So it's not, oh, women submit to, to, to men. And that's another way I think that, that people can groom women. Like you can't speak up for yourself. You can't, you can't say no. You can't, um, you can't be empowered because you have to be submissive. And actually the submission is, it's, it's, it's thinking of the other person better than yourself. It's like a Christian submission and it's for everybody. So it, so it is interesting how, how people can take different um, verses, tweak it a little bit, to match what they're they're saying to try to put their badge of approval on their agenda. I think it's very important for women to kind of like get more in depth with the Bible because a lot of the time it is men preaching it. So they'll be like, listen, this is what this verse says. And they could quote it word for word. But if you go in the Bible and you learn from it for yourself, then you'll later on learn like, no, you're also supposed to submit to me too. Like, cause they're yes. only going to teach you what they want you to know. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. And women can learn it. You can learn Greek and Hebrew women. You can do it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I just want to say, you know, I appreciate you sharing your story. And I think it can be really impactful, you know, for a lot of people, you know, going through a similar situation. Um, but as far as like churches and, you know, religion, religious organizations go, um, you know, domestic violence seems to be kind of swept under the rug a lot. Um, what do you think is the best way for, you know, churches or religious organizations to support, you know, members who may be experiencing, you know, domestic violence or abusive relationships? Yeah, great question. Um, first of all, I think they need to talk about it regularly. Um, and not have it be such a taboo or even, even in the way people talk about it, like their tone of voice, like just talk about it, have it be a normal thing, kind of like what you guys are doing, which is so cool. Um, and I think the more it's normalized, it's like, oh, this is just like, why can't it just be like, hey, I, I want to go to a cooking class, right? Why, ca why can't it be at that same level of normalcy of like, hey, we're going to talk about domestic violence for a month this week or this month and, and come to our weekly small groups. We're going to talk about what it looks like and, and how to avoid it. Da, 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 da. So I think just normalizing it and, and not having it be such like a we're going to talk about domestic violence. Da, da, da. You know, it's kind of like you can hear the music coming in, the lights get low. Oh, and everybody's looking at each other like who in here is being abused. Right, right. Like, let's just talk about it like at a level where it's just, hey, this is something that happens. And then in doing that, I think the more it's normalized, then people will then start being like, oh, hey. And the second thing is if a church is being abusive, there's lots of other churches that you can find. You don't need to stay within a church that's being abusive. Um, that's kind of the cool thing about having a lot of different congregations. Um, if, if something is, is abusing, it, it's not, and this is just something the role of the survivor can sometimes do like, oh, I can fix him. You know, I can, I can make it better. And sometimes members do that with a church. Like if I just stay in here, like maybe I can make it better. And some, maybe you can. But if you can't and you're just getting abused, go and find another church or start one. One of my favorite quotes is, um, instead of complaining about the church you've experienced, become the church God dreams of. Like, like start one. Right. Start the one. disciples did. Yeah. <laughs> start a church because I would go to your church. <laughs> I've actually thought about it. This has like, I honestly, like just speaking to you has really opened my eyes about the church because you're the most liberal, like liberal pastor I've ever met. And thank you. <laughs> that is a compliment. Yes. It is. <laughs> like that's birds. Their <laughs> age group needs. Yeah. They need yeah. a church. And the pastor can accept them right where they are, you know, not afraid to talk about social justice and women and, and gender discrimination. These are yes. all the things that they want to talk about and 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 still, you know, maintain that relationship with the Lord and not feel judged and minimized and oh you're just exactly. a millennial you know they don't want to hear all that they so yeah right I, I literally have left my church and i've been struggling with god because i connected god and like the members together like and my pastor i like well if this is how he's gonna act and he keeps saying that he's like you know god's biggest fan i'm like well i just i don't under like it just didn't make sense to me like because i talked to my pastor about racism and he had a total impact where it was like, why wouldn't you tell me that this was going on at that school? Why did, why were you guys even still going there? Like blaming us. And I was like, I'm coming to you to help like 
find a solution and you're making it about you. And he turned and it around it, and made it her problem and her problem. Yeah, oh, and then sorry. he turned around, blamed it on me. And I was like, I'm, I'm not going to be a part of this. And then when I went back to church, because I found another church and my grandma was like, please come to potluck, please come to potluck. So I went to potluck and he hunted me down. He like chased me down in the church because I would not talk to him. And he's like, you're not about to disrespect me in my church. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yeah. Like, wow. abuse right there right yes yes trigger yeah yeah <laughs> I like ever since then I've just been struggling so hard with like my relationship with Christ because I people made Christ to seem non-progressive and now that I've mm. kind of been like reading the Bible and studying it more for myself and not taking it like for other people's words it's kind of been like well actually the members of the church are making Christ seem one way when that's not who he is and it was like yes. Pharisees like everyone's a Pharisee like around me in this church like so yes you're exactly right and and what's interesting is like they're breaking one of the commandments and it's going to surprise them which one they're breaking so you know the whole like don't say omg commandment like you know taking the lord's name in vain it has nothing to do with omg it's, it's taking on the name of Christ right. and then acting like you're not Christ, like mm -hmm. taking the name of the Lord in vain. You're taking on like, oh, I'm a Christian, right. but then you're flipping it and you're not even acting like a Christian. And so it's interesting that people, it's much easier though to not say OMG, let's just keep it there. That's much more clean and, and controlled. No, it's not talking about that. It's talking about living out what it means to be a follower of Christ. So I, I am, I, for one, in saying, yeah, but I'm sorry you've experienced that. I, I believe it though, because I, I've experienced it too. But please really start your own church. Like <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, I've wanted to, like, I've, I've had this desire of like, you know what, you know, cause at times I sometimes do feel like I'm, I'm still a part of, uh, and it, an abusive relationship in many ways. And that's why I think finding a, a local church that is not, because that's where the power is at, is at the local level. Right. Um, but yeah, if we can't, I, it would be fun even to do like, start a little house thing every once in a while, like like a house. Or um, do it on Zoom, like a lot of people are doing right now. Exactly. Right, You're that's a good idea. A lot of churches are like meetings, you know, during the Sabbath, mm -hmm. when they're on those hours on Zoom where- That's a great idea. Mm -hmm and have like real talk right real talk yeah yeah because okay. i personally hmm. name a bunch of people that went to auburn and they're struggling with their relationship with christ because of the same similar things i said or that i experienced yeah. and it's hard for them to find like a pastor they can actually trust and i think that you'd be a great great pastor that they can trust and open up to especially open that door back to Christ that a lot of them have closed. Yeah. I don't, I don't really think that's it though. I feel like with kids who struggle with their relationship with Christ, I feel like it's because of the church. A lot of kids feel like they're jealous. Like, a lot, you know, and a lot of people seem like, oh, if you don't go to church, you don't have a relationship with God. You don't, people don't understand that. They don't try to make it seem like it's, it's, about, it's about your relationship with God. It doesn't mean you go to church or not. It's about how you and him have a relationship. You know, I feel like that's why a lot of young kids are going away from God because they feel like the church is so judgmental towards them. Mm -hmm. You're right. Yeah. And you, I like what you said there. You made it really cool comment of like our relationship with God is different than church attendance. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, you didn't say those words, but I think yeah. that's what you were saying. <laughs> and you're right, right? It's like, it's like um, one of my students from Rio, he made a really cool um, allegory. He's like, um, church is kind of like where um, uh, the Avengers come together and like get powered up to keep doing their Avenger stuff, <laughs> right? Like, so in other words, we, we, we are the church all the time. Like we live it hopefully. And, and, but yet, but yet we need like joy, like you're saying, we need that space of like, okay, man, I'm, I'm empty and I'm feeling I, I need to be refueled. And if, and if we're going to a place that's like, oh, I have to put on a mask here. I have to act a certain way to hopefully get a little bit of drop of nourishment. Um, and I think what's cool about, about your generation as well as, as well as myself is we need to start holding, holding the church accountable for that. Like, Hey, this is not, this little game that we're playing is not working. Like, let's, let's be real. Like even just dressing up for church, not biblical. Like it's not great book. And then, and then I'll stop talking, but a great book is um, pagan Christianity. Really good book. Uh, Barna Institute and uh, uh, another guy, Frank Viola, I think um, wrote it. And it's talking about all the traditions that we do that are not biblical. <laughs> and even just the setup of church um, in pews, in rows, listening to somebody that's elevated, talking down at people, um, little things like that. It's really, really a great eye opener, but pagan Christianity. That's all steeped in pa paganism? Yeah. Wow. I'm going to, I'm going to find that book. Yeah. It's really interesting. Okay. I just want to know if you were to look back at yourself, at your, your younger self, when you were in that relationship, what would you, knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I would say you're worth more. Hmm. Yeah, that's what we see. Self-worth is the first thing that that leaves just, you yeah. know, that's what they're steadily just ticking away at that self-worth. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Good. You're, yeah. You're worth more. And don't be afraid to say something, something. Right. Like, what are you protecting? And I think, too, like women going back to joy, what you were saying, like another way that women are groomed is we we can't be angry. Mm -hmm. um, you, you try to find a, a picture of an angry woman. I did this, I did this just off the fly, like a few years ago. I'm like, I'm going to look on Google images and see if I can find an angry woman. It was so hard to find. And the only ones I found were ones that were like kind of silly, angry, like for like a PowerPoint presentation that were like fake. Right. You don't find examples of women being angry because it's not, um, it's not allowed because we're supposed to be the nurturers. We're supposed to be the mommy figures. Um, so even, even things like that, of like, yeah, be mad, be angry that you're getting treated this way. Okay. Um, it's not, it's not bad. And, and what are you protecting? It's right. not your job to protect the abuser right. as, as a nurturer, you know, mm -hmm. those are all very powerful. Thank you. Yeah. Excellent. excellent. I wanted to ask you, um, so like when people are experiencing domestic violence, you know, in their church, they might seek couples counseling, you know, either through, you know, a pastor or something like that. Um, and I know it, pastors vary widely, you know, depending on what church you at. But do you think that pastors 
you know, are capable of, you know, addressing, you know, the different dynamics of domestic violence, you know, with power and control? Or do you think that, you know, victims of domestic violence should seek somewhere, you know, a secular, um, you know, therapist or something like that outside of the church? That's a really good question. Yeah, I think that if the pastor has gotten counseling um, a degree, but even then, I don't think it's appropriate for that. Um, if they're members of that pastor's church, I don't think it would be a good idea for them to go to that pastor for counseling. The reason being is it shifts. It's a weird dynamic in the relationship of the pastor and that couple. I mean, it could work. I'm just thinking in terms of, I, I don't, it would, it would, especially if the, if the pastor has a relationship with both. Um, and then there is kind of like this weird, like, do I take a side or do I not? Um, it, it, I think it's just super complicated. Whereas I think it would be better. So, so number one, if the pastor does not have a counseling degree, they should not be counseling a domestic violence survivor period, because that is, it ta- that's specialized stuff. Yeah. That's, that's almost like malpractice. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really is. Yeah. And, and, and they can, um, yeah. Uh, enough said that. Damaged and good. Right. Yes. Yes. And then if they're spiritualizing things and they're not knowing that they're doing it because they don't have the training, um, that could cause some problems. And and then I think, so then, then I think the second thing is um, it just is a cleaner, I think, therapy to just go to somebody and you can find Christian counselors that are not pastors. Um, I think you can just even, you can just even Google search like Christian counselors in my area and, and people will come up and you can find out if your insurance takes it or, or not. Um, there's many people who will do, um, pro bono because they're, they're trying to work on a extenuating their, their degree to a, to a secondary degree and that kind of thing. Um, what I do think the pastors in the church should do is have a fund set up for people who need funding for counseling. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that the pastor can do. That's right? a great, that's a great idea. Yeah. Like have, have like, cause that's, it, it's expensive. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's at least what, $60 an hour around here. It sure is. Yep. Right. And so if people who are already struggling to try to make ends meet, they don't have that. Right. They don't have that. And if you had to do it every week, like that's what by, by that's, that's hundreds of dollars in one. Yeah. Month. And I believe they need survivors need at least eight weeks of therapy. At least I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So what, so what the pastor can do is like, Hey, let's get creative in setting up a fund. Let's get some ideas. Let's get some, Here's the name of counselors in the area that are, that are, that are Christian counselors. Um, if you don't trust the pastor, do your own homework because <laughs> they might have like kind of creepy counselors on their list. Cause, cause that's the other thing too, is some not just because somebody has the name counselor doesn't mean they're necessarily good. Right. Is that more fuel for your joy that Pastor Crystal needs to start her own church? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly and please. Um, so she has great innovative ideas for you know things that need to be done now. You know what I'm saying? Meeting people where they are, meeting needs. You I know, think you're a great voice and advocate for the youth. Like I, like there's just so many things that I that you've said that I have never heard come out of a pastor's mouth in my life wow. that haven't been needed to be said by a pastor. Like 
it's that's crazy me, I'm, yeah I'm like I, wa- <laughs> I wonder how you you all all three of you were at Auburn at the same time I wonder how your experience would have been different if you had had Pastor Chrislin on campus for you all I would have really into social justice as well so I think a lot of things might have your experiences might have been better yeah from sure. from any while I was at Auburn any I don't think I even heard of you know, in a Bible class or a pastor even speak about a social justice issue mm-hmm. once that wow. didn't even occur. It was always yeah. work, work, work on yourself. You need to be better. Uh-huh. And it was like, I think that's another thing. It's like, that's why a lot of kids at Auburn, I've kind of made this observation. Yes, they go on to be doctors, but like kids in public school go on to be like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and all of these like great people. And it's because they don't have this pressure of, Remember, you need to be perfect. Remember, you need to be perfect. Remember, you need to be perfect and you need to be praying and you need to be doing this and this and this and this and this. So they don't have all of that pressure. Whereas like a lot of kids in Auburn are like struggling now to get into their careers. And on top of that, Auburn didn't provide such great resources for them. It's because we had the, remember, you need to be perfect. And on top of that, be like, get into a good career. So a lot of them end up breaking down. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I've personally noticed with like my journey from Auburn. Yeah. It'd be cool if you guys came and like did like a, cause you're, cause you're local and like came and talked to the kids. Cause yeah. And just like gave them that perspective of, of um, like, you don't have to be perfect. Like, and that's the thing too. Like I remember being in high school and thinking, Oh, when I be, get to be the age I am now, right. I'll have it all figured out. No. Nope. As long as we're on this, on this earth, like we are a con, like we are a constant student of experience (laughs) and and, yeah. And, and anytime somebody says they have it figured out, like that's a dangerous person. (laughs) Exactly. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to learn anything else. Yeah. No. As listening to this podcast and it was like a lot of successful people never view themselves as successful they remain humble and they constantly seek advice from other people that they view more successful than themselves Mm. they never view themselves as perfect and as like their work has been completely finished so that has really been like motivating to me is like to constantly seek out advice and to stop putting on the performance of i've got to figure it out when you don't yes yes yeah that authentic self that we have that is like sometimes broken is beautiful and I think there's exactly what you're saying there's more power in that because then some other people can say oh I recognize that because I feel that way too sometimes yeah this was a very great conversation and I would definitely love to do this again Yay. especially <laughs> once you open up your church <laughs> like, yeah be thinking of be thinking of a name I'm kind of excited even if even if like like Kelly like you're saying even if it was just like a little we should start off as a zoom and then mm-hmm. and then see where it goes like I think there's a lot of power to um like like uh group groups in in homes right Mm -hmm. i do too small group study or whatever yeah Yeah. and i would be there too because i when i first met pastor crystalin um when you called me that day we were going back and forth on either facebook at first and then when i got to talk to you on the phone and just see how you're just so down to earth and real and candid and still very spiritual and christ-like i was just like i really like her i really do (laughs) 
<laughs> so I've enjoyed getting to know you. Thank you. And just to give you guys feedback too, um, I'm, it makes me sad that social justice was not an issue because I truly believe that in order to be a true follower of Christ, you, we have to be meeting people where the issues are. Mm-hmm. And that's why personally social justice, like, and for people who want to polit- politicize it, whatever, that's, if that's what you want to do with your, with yourself, go for it. But right. it's not, it's not, it is like life and death, humanity. And even, you know, even people who are like, well, I'm pro-life. Okay. If you're pro-life, then what are you doing for the kids that are in cages down at the, at, at the border? If you're right. pro-life, what are you doing for people who are, who are getting shot in the streets? You can't just be pro-life and then somebody's born. You're like, Hey, you're on your own. Right. right. And so that's where it's like this whole thing of, of, of people wanting to um, say, well, you know, we want to stay away from social justice. That's dangerous. Really? Like that's what Jesus did, man, all the time. And so if you want to be a follower of Christ, that's what you got to do. Right. If you want to play the game of church. Then that's not Christ-like because it's a game. If you, if you have the game in there, to, but to be the church, to actually live it, it means we're going to get dirty. We're going to, we're not going to be perfect, right. but, but we're going to be doing movement. We're going to be doing action towards something. So right. I just want to give you that feedback that I'm, that I'm sorry you experienced a lack of that um, in your experience when you were in, in school. And I think important, especially, you know, I really appreciate that you're in youth ministry just because I wholeheartedly believe that everything starts with, you know, our youth, you know, especially working towards the future. So I think, you know, right now, whether it's relationships, you know, issues around the world, you know, whatever it is, it really has to, you know, start at a young age and, you know, start building from there. So. Well, I see, I see the, I see the church leadership right here. (laughs) Seriously. Like what you guys are saying, like, this is, this is what people are hungry for. Exactly. Yeah. We'll start your church and we'll help. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Got my got my church leadership right here, right? <laughs> you heard it here. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And I hope we continue to work on other projects together. Fingers crossed. And absolutely. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah, I would definitely love to continue to have more conversations with you. Um, so I think I'm just gonna close it out now. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So thank you everyone for joining us on another episode of Confabulation. Thank you again, Pastor Crystalline, for joining us and sharing your experience with us and sharing your story. It was very impactful. Um, yeah. And we will see you on another episode of Confabulation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.